Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, so it's almost fall. Summer went like this. It's going to be Christmas before you know it. (laughs) It's still summertime, folks. We got like, what, two more weeks. Oh, that really riled you guys up. (laughs) As we do refocus and enter into the fall season, it is a good time uh, just to recalibrate, you know, our thoughts, our our lives, our minds, and so on. Uh, we obviously still have four children at home, so when they go back to school, it's, you know, it's a, um, just a new season for us each and every year, just like when they come home for the summertime. But regardless of what age, you know, age bracket you're in or life stage you're in, it is a good time to just refocus your life, to ask the Lord what he's doing in your life in this season throughout this fall into the rest of the year. Uh, so we're prepared, ready to go, and focused even into 2020. But even as a church, it's a good time to remind ourselves why we even exist. Why do we keep our doors open with so many other churches in the area? What do we feel like the Lord's calling us to do specifically? So we've been communicating for this past year now. The mission statement is on your bulletin every week. It's up on the the sides here. And it's why we believe that the Lord has placed us on on, uh, in this area for this specific season. So we believe that our mission, we believe our specific mission here is to produce that unified family of believers, right? So we wanna be unified, we wanna be a family, we want to be able to demonstrate to people what it looks like to be a unified family. We also wanna see our lives being transformed by Jesus. So we don't wanna just come to church every week. That's not, we're not opening these doors to have an event once a week. So that makes sense? We wanna be here to partner with you so that when people come in, they are actually transformed by Jesus not just by a sermon or a moment of worship or by your group, but an ongoing transformation of Jesus. Through that, we do wanna empower. We don't just wanna delegate. We don't just wanna enable you to do things. We actually want to empower you to live a supernatural life. Not so you're saying, oh, look, they empowered us, but it's so that you can empower other people as well. Do you know that when Jesus sent out the 12 uh, apostles to go and to disciple nations, he he did not intend for them to do all of the work. So it was always the apostles, the apostles. He was, a, he was empowering them to disciple the nations so that they would disciple other nations. So there's an empowerment that goes on to say, we, the leadership of the church all across the board, trust God enough that he trusts us enough that he trusts you enough to empower other people. So we wanna see a multiplication effect, a reproducing happening throughout our church. So there's an empowerment to live a supernatural life. And the goal that we see through this is to advance the kingdom of God everywhere we go. Can you say everywhere you go? So that does not mean just within the the ministries that you sign up for at the church. It doesn't mean while you're inside the walls. It means in your place of business. It means in your classroom students. It means in, in the community, at Walmart, at Shop and Save. Everywhere we go, everywhere the Lord places our feet, we are determined. Why? Because we're a part of a family that has encouraged us and built us up. Because we have been transformed and we are being transformed. And because we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, all of those things line up to our confidence to be used by the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of God everywhere we go. That means regardless of how you feel that day, if you wake up and you believe in faith that you've been empowered to advance his kingdom, it's an amazing thought when you think about it. 
The God of all creation trusts you to make a difference in society. He trusts you with his message of salvation, healing, and deliverance. So that somebody, a cashier who is depressed, who is lonely, would receive a word of knowledge, a prophetic word would receive some type of substance in their life that they'd go home with more hope than when they walked in. And he has left us to do it, along with every other church in this area, in partnership, in family, to advance his kingdom. Now, how many of you know we need to be free to be able to do this? We need to be walking in freedom and real, tangible, measurable victory over the devil and over his demons to be able to actually express what a true family looks like, to be transformed and being transformed, to actually be empowered and not have all these roadblocks in our way, and to go out. See, if you're, if you're consumed with what the enemy's doing in your life, and you have all these roadblocks and sins and habits and addictions, when you go out, you're feeling miserable, right? And a lot of times what you'll do, you'll become self-consumed. You're not looking at the needs of anyone else. But if we could say, listen, my life isn't perfect, and yeah, I could be under attack at certain times, but I'm choosing in faith to live in victory over this circumstance, over this situation, then God gives you eyes to see people who are in need. And now it's not, am I gonna have enough money to buy my own groceries? It's God, we, I know that you're gonna give me enough money to buy. Who else do you want me to buy for today? Give me a word of encouragement. Give me a prayer for them. Give me something to speak to them. So the entire reason why we are going into this series, Activate Your Armor, is to continue to fulfill the mission of why we even keep the doors open. It's why God has placed us specifically in this neighborhood, in this community. And we need to live in victory over the enemy. So we need to understand what the armor is. We need to understand what battles are occurring and how to have victory over those. Amen? Amen. Now, as we go into a series like this, Christians can have the tendency to put all their focus on the enemy, so much so that they actually empower his working in their life. And that's like the worst possible way you can approach spiritual warfare. When you're talking about an enemy, you're learning about the enemy enough to be able to defeat them. You're not learning about them so you can just study it out and be consumed with the activity of the devil and the demonic in this place or in, in this earth. Does that make sense? So when we go into a series like this, the goal is to become more like Jesus, to focus on Jesus, become more like Jesus, press into Jesus, press into the presence of God so that when attack comes, in fact, Scripture says, when the day of evil comes, we will be able to stand. So it reminded me, you know, I was thinking about it, of how you know, when you hear spiritual warfare, sometimes I've said it before, you have, you have some Christians that, I mean, they got two, not one sword, they got two swords and they're flailing it and screaming and just going after everything, demon behind every single bush. And it's just not the way it works. It's not, you never see in, in God's word, you never see God instructing his followers to be overly consumed with the enemy. He doesn't say, Moses, Gideon, uh, Peter, Paul, stay up all night worrying about what your enemy's gonna do. He doesn't even have to, he doesn't say, you have to raise your voice and act angry to defeat the enemy. It's just not in his word. So Paul gives us his armor and it's focusing everything on God. It's focusing everything on us becoming more like Jesus so we could defeat the enemy. 
So I was thinking about this. Football season is upon us. I love it, love it, love it. I started thinking about how we would prepare uh, for football back when I was much younger and actually played. So you would start with conditioning. You'd start with running, and then eventually you would get to different drills, and then eventually different skills and techniques. And then eventually, sometime during camp, you would actually produce a game plan. And then after that, you would understand what the strengths that you had as an individual athlete, the strengths of all your teammates, and the strengths of your coach, how they were leading you into what we would consider battle, but it's just a game. What would happen is, so once you understood your strengths and you understood your attack, your your plan of attack, you understood where you were headed when you would face your enemy, then just a week before the game, you would watch films. You would watch films on yourself of how you've been doing in practice, but you would also watch films of the enemy, the other team. Out of, you know, out of 100% of the time that you spend practicing for a game, maybe 25%, maybe 20% of that is identifying the strengths of the enemy. Now, it was important enough that the coach would walk you through what the, what the other team, the opponent's tactics were, how they blitzed, how they tackled, how they covered, how they ran offense, what were their tendencies. So you knew going into the game how they were going to most likely be your opponent. But never did a, a team, or never should a team walk in with a greater awareness of what the opponent is going to do than what we are going to do. Right, when we think about it, God's word is filled with the plans of the enemy. We already see it laid out, but it is filled even more with the activity of Jesus. It is filled with more of his plans for victory over the enemy's attack. Does this make sense? So we wanna learn both. We're gonna look at what we know from scripture uh, in the kingdom of darkness, how he operates, and then we're gonna press into Jesus and press into Jesus and watch as he continues to move in our lives. As I was even studying for this message, I learned of a statistic. 50% of Christians in the United States do not even believe in the existence of Satan. So if you, if you, you say, like, if you take him out of the picture and you just don't even believe, then you're not aware of any of his attacks. I would love to see how much joy, how much freedom, and how much power these Christians are living in. Not even believing that he exists, just believing that it's a, he's just a symbol of darkness, a symbol of evil in this world. But I think we have to admit, there is a battle going on every single day, and it's not against nation versus nation. There's a real battle going on in the unseen realm, and we have been chosen by the Father to be a part of this battle. I heard it stated once, we were born into a war. Now what happens is when you're born again, not only do you become a target of the enemy, but you become a soldier of the Lord. So we're born into a war, then we're born again into a war as one of his soldiers with victory in sight. So we're gonna use Ephesians chapter six as a launching point for each of the messages over the, past, over the next couple of weeks. I just wanna read some of the verses here, starting at verse 10. It says, finally, this is Paul talking to real people in the church in the city of Ephesus. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So look at some of the commands or some of the instructions Paul's giving here. He, there's an expectation that we receive strength from the Lord's power. He's saying, finally, do this. Be strong. There's nothing lazy, lackadaisical, empathetic, or apathetic about this. He's saying, be strong in the Lord. In verse 11, put on the full armor. Can you say full? There, every single follower of Jesus is intended to have every single piece of the armor on. 
There's not an exception. There really isn't. There's not, there's not like God the Father is looking down at us and saying, okay, he doesn't need a sword, she doesn't need a shield, no helmets in this section. If the instruction and the command is to be strong in the Lord, now we're following up with this as put on the full armor of God, meaning every single piece that Paul's about to lay out. Why? It says, so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Several translations say against all the devil's schemes or all of the tactics, which leads me to believe that there's not one plan that the enemy has against your life that God wants to succeed. Think about that. There's not one little sliver of what the devil wants to do to steal, kill, or destroy you that God wants to succeed just so you'll become a better person. No, he knows attack is coming and he's given us a way to defend and defeat that attack. So he says here, for, all, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rollers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this is a real struggle. It's a real battle. It's a real war, but it's not against other people. Like we, are, we are so good at blaming, again, another political party, another viewpoint, where we end up bashing other people that God created. You know what the church is really good at too? Is actually bashing other Christians who fail. Christians fall and somehow like we put their target, look at this person, look at this person. Like we forgot the whole, you know, address them in love, pick them up softly, kindly, directly. And what we do is we put our sights on other people instead of the real target. Who's the enemy? Who's the devil? So this battle is not flesh and blood. So he says, therefore, again, he says it, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, he's not saying if it comes, he's saying attack is coming. You may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. So here, the implication is that we're not losing ground during an attack, right? We're not saying, well, the devil beat us up the last 10 years and this and this, and I've lost all this ground. No, he's saying when the day of evil comes, we're standing our ground. When all of the dust settles, guess what? We're still standing. We're still here, not here or here or here. In fact, there's, the implication is that we are actually just moving forward as we're standing. Our feet are firm as we're facing these battles. So then he goes into the actual pieces. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That might not be a specific piece of the armor, but it's an extremely important piece of spiritual warfare. It says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So if you see some of the commands in these few verses here, we're told to be strong, to put on, to take your stand, uh, to put on again, to stand your ground, to stand firm, to have your feet fitted, to take up the shield, to take the helmet, take the sword and pray. There are very clear instructions here. This is the battle plan of our Lord. This is how he's equipping us to take on the attacks of the enemy. And again, there's nothing casual or lazy about this. And I want you to see this. There is nothing to, like, like in the, the, the Roman soldier that he's talking about does not like sit down on a bench and have his servants come 
and put on his armor. And God's not gonna do that for you either. I'm just gonna rest in his presence. That's good. We should rest in his presence. We should not be people of presence. But there's intentionality. There's a day where you have to stand and say, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to receive what the Lord has for me in these certain areas because I'm sick of getting beat up by the devil. If we, if we see in scripture that Jesus is the epitome of joy and we're not yet at that point, then we have ways to grow. There's probably a lie or two that we're believing that the enemy's spoken to us over our lifetime. So there's, there's an area of victory that we can obtain. It doesn't mean you feel guilty. It doesn't mean you feel shame. It should make us excited that God has good plans for us. Amen? Amen. So what I wanna do uh, at the tail end of this message is talk about the belt of truth, but I wanna go over a summary. I, I shared it earlier this summer, uh, this summer about the battle that we face just to get us on the same page. Just a summary of what the enemy's doing, how he's trying uh, to defeat us. Back in the Garden of Eden, going all the way back there, it was God's intention that man and woman, that, human, that, that the human race would rule and reign over the earth, the animals, the birds, the fish, and so on. It was also his intent that the father take a rolling figure in the family, and that was with servanthood and humility. So it was God's intention for him to rule from heaven, from us to rule from earth. Now, very early on, man failed. He sinned. He and her ate the fruit. When that happened, there was deception. It was, it was the enemy, the devil, in the form of a serpent, lying to man and woman. Through that, the human race lost, we lost our authority to have dominion and rulership over this earth. And who obtained it? Say it a little bit louder. We have to like start taking quizzes and stuff here. Satan, the devil, then had, he's, in fact, he's called the prince of this world, the prince of the earth, depending upon what translation you read. He actually had authority and had dominion over this earth. And we've seen how far we've come with destruction and evil and corruption and so on. So he held on to this authority until Jesus comes into the scene to reintroduce the kingdom of God, to die on the cross, to take back the keys of death and Hades, to take back all of the authority and to resurrect. So before he ascended, what did he tell his followers? He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Where's his authority? In heaven and on earth. It's been given to who? Jesus. It's because he died, he resurrected. Now what happened was when he says, therefore go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them and so on, he said, when he's saying, therefore go, he is handing us the authority where? In heaven or on earth? On the earth. Jesus still holds all authority in heaven. He obviously could have all authority here if he wanted to, but he delegated that authority back to us, the same authority that the Father had intended us to have all the way back in the beginning. However, there were 2,000 plus all of the Old Testament, like six, 7,000 years, or no, it would have been when he, so about 5,000 years, four or 5,000 years of dominion of the enemy. And a lot of things were corrupted during that time. So our role carries on what Jesus' assignment was, to destroy the works of the enemy. It's the assignment that Jesus came with. So I think we have to understand who our enemy is if we're gonna destroy his works. If we're gonna actually walk out the authority that God has for us to have on this earth. Amen? Amen. I shared this before, we're just catching people up. The devil, 
is a fallen angel. His original name was Lucifer. That word Lucifer actually means light bearer or morning light. It was a beautiful, when you hear Lucifer now, it's almost like disgusting to your stomach. It once was a beautiful name. Lucifer, an angel created by God, yet still with a free will, wanted worship. Pride was the root of his sin. He wanted to be equal with God. He wanted people, or he wanted other angels to worship him. So in time, I don't, we don't know all the timeline, he was kicked out of heaven. That's why he was now on earth trying to deceive the very first man and woman who was on this earth. With this, we, when we know that the devil was kicked out of heaven, it was him who sinned first. He introduced sin somewhere in you know, second or third heaven, and now we know he was coming to earth to try to introduce it to man and woman. And we failed very, very quickly. In 1 John 3, 8, it says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Why? It says, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, what we'll do is we'll leave that up to him if we don't actually believe he handed us the authority back. He gave us his spirit, he filled us with his spirit, and he's given us the authority to do the same exact thing. When Jesus was talking about those who were opposing him, in the second sentence of, of John 8, 44, it says this, he, speaking of the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Say no truth. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Listen, I think sometimes believers, like they almost entertain his presence. Like, is that you? And they're thinking thoughts and they're, they're almost entertaining what he's trying to do in their life. It's a very dangerous place to be in. Anytime you're sensing the devil or, or the demonic or something from the kingdom of darkness whispering something to you, you can be guaranteed that it's a lie. He says, when you see the mouth of the enemy talking, he's speaking lies. And lying is his native language. So we have to understand one of his primary ways to attack us is through whispering lies. It's not through the huge calamity and the tragedy. It's through the little lies that he whispers to us day after day. You're not good enough. You're not gonna make it, this and that. Till we actually begin to believe those things. And then we're walking in deception without even knowing it. So we have to become wise. So we have devil, the, the devil. He's a fallen angel. This is not an even battle. We've talked about this before. Some people think it's God versus the devil. Is God an angel? No, God's not a created being. So it's God and the devil. It's not the devil versus God, right? We would have the devil even with like Michael the archangel and other angels. And so most theologians, they believe that a third of the angels actually followed him as well, just through different scriptures that we're not gonna go over today. But with that, even that, it's not a fair fight. It'd be two thirds angels versus one third angels. Like I'm trying to show you these things because sometimes we give the devil so much clout in our life. Oh, he's battling against God. Is he going to win? No, no, it's not a fair fight. It's not even close to being a fair fight. Now when we catch the revelation that you don't have an angel inside of you, you have the spirit of the living God inside of you, then it's still not a fair fight. We believe lies. We believe that he's stronger than he really is. 
So some things that we can learn looking at scripture, I'm not gonna give references here, uh, that we can learn about the demonic because the demonic are taking assignments from the devil on attack to us. Don't get lost here. We need to know what his plans are, but we need to begin, continue to press into Jesus. We know that demons, and the, the demons, you can see them throughout scripture. They could be called evil or unclean spirits, lying spirits, spirit of fear, tormenting spirit, seducing spirit, spirit of divination, spirit of error, spirit of uh, infirmity, spirit of prostitution, a familiar spirit, perverse spirit, and more. So anytime that you see a spirit being mentioned in any type of opposition to God's nature, it's a demon. It's a fallen angel that is following Satan himself. So what we can see through scripture is that they have kept their power, but it's limited power. They do have intelligence. They have capabilities that they had before the fall, but now they use it for evil. The demonic can recognize a person. They do not know your thoughts, but they can watch your behavior. They can hear the words that come out of your mouth. If we can learn that as a church, the demonic, the unseen realm can hear every word coming out of your mouth. That's why we call it the confession of our faith. I'm a loser. I'm ugly. Even stuff like, you know, my hair doesn't look good today. It's not like I say that. I'm saying maybe teenage girls do. I don't know. <laughs> Negativity that comes out of your mouth. There is an unseen world that can come and begin to torment you based on those things. You can follow out people's lives that have spoken curses over themselves for years and they're living out the very words that they've said. So they can recognize a person, they can watch their behavior, they can hear our words and they can discern who God's children are and who they aren't. They can inflict physical illness and disease, yet not every illness is a demonic attack. You have to get this straight. Like sometimes you just might need to exercise more Sometimes you might need to sleep more, eat less sugar, right? We're going after demons and like, God's like, lay off the Oreos. That was to me. <laughs> the demonic spirit of processed chocolate. Do you see how the, the demonic has, because they have limited power, they can attack your body. And they can cause illness. Yet, please, I'm telling you that, listen, listen, do not ever, ever blame somebody's illness on something that you're not sure of. And do not ever impose what you think their level of faith is because they're not being healed. It is not our job to say, well, if you just have more faith, you'd be healed. Or the devil's after you for this. What our job is, what Jesus said to do is to go and to heal the sick using his name. Our job isn't to figure out all this stuff. If the Lord tells us something and it gives us accuracy on how to pray, then use that. Do not ever blame, cause guilt or condemnation on somebody else. It closes the door for you to be able to minister to them. Well, we don't know why this is, but let's go after this thing. Maybe the Lord will tell you unhealthy eating styles. You could say, can you tell me a little bit about this? Like if you were in relationship with them. Sometimes it's as natural as too much sugar. Sometimes it's a spiritual attack. And sometimes we won't know. That's why he gives us very clear instructions to command sickness to leave in Jesus' name. Are you with me? The demonic can cause mishaps, accidents, and even tragedy. And they deceive people until they blame it on God sometimes. I want you to understand this. Not every mishap, accident, and tragedy is a demonic attack. 
If you don't change your oil, your engine will eventually stop. That's not the demonic. Like that's just bad maintenance on your car. And yet sometimes if you watch for patterns, watch for patterns, folks. If you see patterns of things breaking down in this, in this weird limit of time, go back to the Lord, right? Before you start like anointing, you know, all your engine and so on, ask the Lord, is there, is there a pattern of demonic activity right here? Begin to dialogue with him and see if there's activity in that or not. The demonic can influence people to carry out evil. They can oppress and torment us and they can even fully possess unbelievers. But they can only oppress and torment us to the level that we are living in rebellion to God or to the level that we invite him in. We'd say, well, I never invited him in. Yes, with your actions, your attitudes, and your disobedience to the Lord, you actually are inviting him in. So we have, like, sin is a big deal. We say, well, we're people of grace and so on. Listen, sin is a big deal. It opens the door of your heart to demonic activity. Just, just like negative confessions of your life. It was just opening a door for the demonic to begin to whisper, yeah, you know what? That is true about you. Yeah, you know that thing that that other person said about you? That is true. And those whispers begin to happen in the unseen realm. And if you're not discerning enough, you will begin to live out that lie. They can cause anger and fear that lead to, you know, wars, division, and so on. Uh, through scripture, they do seem to be able to travel quickly, but they are not omnipresent. They are not in every place at every time. They're in, what, we, what we can see in scripture, they are in one place at every time, but they can communicate with each other and travel quickly. They are invisible to us, but they have, they can manifest in a physical form. And there are plenty of people even sitting in this room that I know personally that have seen images of the demonic before. I'm being one of them. They are very organized and they are under the leadership of the devil. You know, I, I, I read this in an article a couple weeks ago and it, it, it gave me some disgust in my heart. The, the demonic, the kingdom of darkness is so organized and so unified. They take instructions from one and they have one purpose to still kill and destroy. The devil hates you. And that's one purpose is to destroy us. And yet when we look at the church, we look at the body of Christ, we are so splintered. We're so divided, 300 and some denominations. We're fighting over, you know, this and this. We're fighting over if the bad stuff happens before Jesus comes back, in the middle of Jesus comes back, or when he comes. And we actually don't like each other because of those differences in theology. And I look sometimes and, and, and think, though we, though we win, I wonder how many roadblocks we've put up for ourselves through division in the body of Christ as a whole. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. That's our message. That's the message of the church. Yet somehow we find ways to be divided about it. So what the devil has done is he's perverted the systems of this world, the culture of this world, and the society of this world. In, in 1 John 2, 15, it says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, meaning the ways of this world, the ways that we've been taught and tutored by the enemy. It says, um, if anybody loves this world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in this world, watch what they're talking about. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Come not from the Father, but from the world. Who was the prince of this world before Jesus came? The devil, the enemy. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So you think about the systems of the world. Look at the church, how there are certain denominations now accepting homosexuals to be their pastors, to be their leaders. 
Think about how, how the enemy has infiltrated even our religious systems. Look about at the family, how much division and strife is within even families within the church of, of Jesus Christ. Government, how corrupt and divided it is. All of these things, the educational system. Listen, the educational system, even in this nation alone, the kids learned to read and they studied out of God's word. One, one room schoolhouses, like this is how they were learning. Most universities, these, most of the elite universities started because revival happened. They opened this university up to train pastors, evangelists, missionaries, and now there's some of the universities that are the farthest from God. All of these things were created and put in place by God to bring glory to him, to bring peace on this earth. And yet every single area of society is tainted and has signs of corruption. And you know what? We can't be the ones that are complaining about it. We have to be part of the solution. We can't let our blood pressure rise every single uh, you know, news article that we read and all these stuff. There are Christians that waste their life being mad at what's wrong instead of trying to be the solution to what's wrong. Provide something that's right in an area that's so wrong. You've been commissioned to do this. So when we look at God's nature and we look at Satan's nature, they're in exact opposites. We can tell the difference if we just stop and think. We've made excuses for unholy living. We've made excuses for having doors in our hearts open for the enemy to attack. It's time to stop. It's time to stop. So we have God. We have love versus hatred. We have faithful versus a betrayer. We have truth versus a deceiver. We have humble versus proud. We have Jesus who saves versus the devil who condemns. God who forgives versus the devil who accuses. God who liberates versus the enemy who imprisons. God who's pure, everything about the enemy is perverted. God teaching us even through the life of Jesus to be submissive, yet the, the enemy is so rebellious. God gentle, the enemy violent. God generous, the devil greedy. God teaching self-control and yet everything about the enemy is unrestrained. When we are seeing anything on this side that is not the character of God, I ask you to use very quick action to get that thing right in your life by pressing in to God. Those areas that represent the nature of the enemy like I said before, they are opening up an area of your heart, your soul, your mind to receive attack. So what I would love to do in my own life and in the life of this church is to not have a skinny little line that's separating good from evil. I want that line to be blackened and I want that line to be wide. I don't want there to be any gray space. I want us to live a holy life unto God in victory over every single one of the enemy's attacks. Right, and not, well, the Bible doesn't really say about this, so I'm not sure it's really a sin. Listen, if there's anything that could represent the, the nature and the character of the enemy, it's not of God. It's not of him. So though we will walk in grace, and if one of our Christian brothers or sisters fall, we'll be patient, merciful, graceful with them. We'll lift them up gently, correct them gently. For our own lives, I want that line thick. And I want it dark. And I want to know I'm not crossing over that line. See, there's, there's one, of the, one of the main lies <clears throat> that the devil wants you to believe 
is that when you do fall into sin, when you do mess up, that God is no longer for you. He's so angry with you because he's so disgusted about your sin that he's not gonna be there to help you. What that does is it isolates you because if you think you've fallen and now your own father isn't on your side because he's so angry with you, you no longer look to him for your help. You no longer ask him for grace or mercy. You no longer ask him for forgiveness. So what you do is you begin to run further away from him because you're trying to hide from the one that you think is angry. And guess what you do? You walk right into the hands of the enemy. And now you think these soothing thoughts, well, if I just take one more drink, if I just look at one more image, if I just do one more thing to just soothe me, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. It's not. So the enemy actually uses the holy nature of God, perverts it and says, you've messed up. He's no longer for you. But the truth is God is for you. He's not pleased when you sin, right? He has, no, he has a complete disdain towards sin, but he's for you. He was for you when you didn't know him. So why would he not be for you now that you know him? So now if we believe I've messed up, I'm in an addiction, I'm in this sin habit in my life, God, you look to God, you're still for me? Yeah, I'm still for you. Now what do you do? You go to him for grace, you go to him for mercy, you're no longer under that guilt, that shame and that cycle of condemnation. And now what you do with the Father is you put your targets on the right enemy. You actually realize this isn't like you versus God. This is God helping you, lifting you back up, put your aim on the enemy and destroy him. But it's the lie that we believe from the enemy that keeps us here. I've said it a few times already in John 10, 10, the job description of the devil is to still kill and destroy. The job description of Jesus is to have life and more abundantly. Anything in your life that's going to give you life Real life, not just satisfaction, not temporary, a temporary buzz. Real life, everlasting fullness of life is of the Father. Anything that could steal, kill, or destroy your sobriety, your purity, your honesty, your humility, your generosity, any of those things are of the enemy whether it's a specific attack or whether it's just the way the world has come and we're believing those systems. So we need to believe the truth. God wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be victorious. And I'm just getting to the belt. Give me, give me a couple more minutes here. That's, that's the overview. <laughs> so in Ephesians chapter six, he's talking about putting on the full armor. Paul is giving the picture of the Roman soldier, how he prepared for battle. That phrase, I just learned this last night. I was reading a couple articles on Charisma Magazine. And I just learned last night, this phrase put on comes from one Greek word, which means to be saturated in or to take the character of. So he's not saying, just put these things on like they're clothes and they can come off really easy. He's saying, be completely soaking wet with them. Or like, like the modern translation that they gave in this article was that when an actor takes on the role of their character, I'm not an actor, so I don't know, but the, like when, when they go into this, you're actually taking on the nature and the character and the words, the behaviors, the attitudes, even the language of who you are role-playing. This isn't a play and we're not acting, but what, what they're trying to draw out, this is a picture of it. You're actually being morphed into, transformed into a soldier. So be put on, take the character of 
God by wearing the full armor of God. So it's, it was believed in the Roman soldiers that the belt was the very first piece to be put on. This was the beginning of the transition from civilian to soldier. This was like, you know, when football players would put their, 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 their war paint on and so on. It was now time to go to battle. There was no, no more relaxing. There was no more just sitting around. There was going to be an active, an, uh, an active alertness to what the enemy was about to do, but even more of an awareness of what their commander in chief was telling them to do. So this belt that he's talking about, he's saying, let this be the very first piece that you put on. So he's called the belt of truth. What, it do, what, what he's doing, he's demonstrating the need to know the truth about what God says about you, what God's plans are for you and the church at whole, and also the truth about the enemy. We've even heard enough lies about how the enemy works that we don't know. We've confused ourselves over the years instead of just looking at the enemy's work in the word and stick with that. So what we're saying is we need to know truth. We need to be able to see the motions of our commander in chief and know what he's telling us to do, but also know what the enemy's doing. If you're concerned, I heard this once said, if you're concerned about you know, putting it on every morning or if you're concerned, did my armor you know, come off? And some people, they symbolically put things on every morning. They have a special prayer and so on. I heard a pastor say, why are you taking it off? See, if we're fighting wars in the natural, a Roman soldier can't go to bed with his armor on. That'd be really uncomfortable. Good night, honey. You know, like that wouldn't be good. So what they have to do, they have to take it back off. They're no longer in war. They're a civilian and they have to put it back on. But we're not fighting a natural war. We're fighting with different weapons. So we can actually keep our armor on. You can believe the truth as much in the night as you do in the day. Right, which means you can be at peace. I'm not saying to always be mad and all this stuff. No, you can be at peace, but still be fully aware that you have the armor of God on. Amen? So wearing the belt of truth, the truth found in God's word and the truth of what the Holy Spirit is teaching you to do, it's going to develop an alertness and an awareness of what God's doing in your life. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says this, stay alert, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. That doesn't mean in a bunker like this, not moving and staying alert. That's as you're advancing the kingdom of God, everywhere you go, stay alert. Stay alert of what's happening. There's a complete, two completely different ways to approach a, a, a battle like this. So, so watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Again, these verses are not there to scare you or to make you feel like, oh my goodness, what's about to happen? But we do need to take them seriously. We need to understand this is a real battle. He hates you and he wants to destroy your life. But we have victory. So it's going to give you an alertness because you know truth. You know the truth about what God's doing and you know the truth about how the devil's trying to lie to you. It's also gonna give you, wearing this belt of truth is also gonna give you an attitude of submission. In James chapter four, verse seven, it says, to submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Adam, you can come up at this time. This Greek word for submit here is a military term. What it's saying is this, fall into the chain of command. So what you're doing is when you're submitting to the commander in chief, Jesus Christ, 
There's a submission here to say, I, my eyes are on you. My eyes are not on the enemy. My eyes are completely on you. I'm going to fall into that chain of command. I'm going to take my commands, my instructions, my direction from you, and then I'm going to implement them with the safety, the protection, the power, and the peace of your Holy Spirit, right? So you're watching him, you're submitting to him. He's teaching you ways that the enemies maybe never seen before of how to resist them. Then you turn, you resist the enemy, and then the promise is that the devil will flee. We try to resist sometimes by getting mad, by just you know, spilling out confessions that aren't even in our heart. We're just saying words off of the paper. That doesn't affect the enemy. Submit to God. Realize he is your commander in chief. Your eyes have to be on him first. Get your marching orders from him through his word, through the voice of his Holy Spirit telling you what to do. And then you act. Then you resist the enemy and he will flee. So some of the lies that the enemy might whisper to you might come against your body and you're sick and you don't know why, but then you begin to believe, I deserve to be sick. If I would just pray more, if I would just read my Bible more, I wouldn't be sick, so I deserve this. But the truth is, is by his stripes, you were healed. Maybe he'll try to attack your mind. Nobody likes me. I don't have any friends. I'm never gonna be accepted. Yet the truth is that you've been accepted by the Father himself. You've been adopted into the family. If there's no one on the face of this earth, that calls you a friend, you have your father, the one who you're gonna spend eternity with. It's a lie from the enemy. Maybe he'll try to afflict your soul, right? I'll never have peace. I'll never have joy. I'll never find true happiness. And yet the word says that you will have peace that surpasses all your understanding. So what are you gonna live off of? The lie? You're gonna confess the lie to yourself? You're gonna fill your thoughts with the lie? Or are you gonna choose you know what, I don't feel like I have peace. In fact, I know I don't, but the word says this. So God, I confess to you today that there is a day coming soon that I will have peace that surpasses all of my understanding. Completely different way to approach your day. Don't ignore reality, but don't confess it day in and day out until you live it out. Admit to the Lord where you are, but I confess your word to be true. The enemy might attack your spirit where you feel like I can't hear the voice of God. When I read scripture, it's not speaking to me. Be reminded today that you have the spirit of the living God living in you. You're not like screaming up to heaven far away. He's in you. I think some of us wait for this big booming lightning bolt experience in our, in our room. Listen to his whisper. And if you're nervous, if it's him or not, does it line up with God's character or the character of the enemy? Another area that I know that the devil attacks a lot of times is our money. So we, have, we come into hard times, we do this, we do that, and then we start comparing ourselves to the people who have better houses, bigger cars, whatever it is. Listen, we're not supposed to compare ourselves. We're supposed to be obedient, live generous lives, and believe that he will richly supply for all of our needs. Every single one of them. So you can believe your current financial status or you can believe what the truth says about your financial status. For every single lie that the enemy sends your way, there is truth and it is found in God's word. That's why we have to put on this full armor so that we can stand our ground. And after everything else, we can stand. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.